Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East in for the vacationing rhino. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Tuesday in September. Will, what's up? Oh, not a whole lot. You got your duds on today. Well, I do. I'm in the dress blues today. I attended a, uh, a fundraiser breakfast this morning uh, for Governor Reeves. He had uh, as his guest Riley Gaines and Paula Scanlon with the Independent Women's Voice. Had uh, kind of a little sort of panel discussion for the group in attendance. Riley and Paula spoke and um, were moderated by the governor. It was good. It was really good. Interesting to hear a lot of the same stuff she talked about when she came on the program, remember, a few months ago, and just discussing uh, her work in this regard. Of course, in the state of Mississippi, you know we have a law that does uh, prevent, prohibit biological males from competing in female sports, but our law stops short of banning men from using female bathrooms and locker rooms. So that's something we're trying to get done here. And then, and then this is crazy, but the governor mentioned that, I don't remember the exact figure, but 160-some-odd times, I believe, the word woman occurs uh, in state code, state statute. So the problem is... You end up with these crazy people that go out and sort of reinterpret, redefine, hijack the word woman. So you've got all this state law that applies specifically to a woman, but without having a clear, which is crazy you have to do that, a clear legal <laughs> definition of a woman. What's the definition? Well, it depends on what is. Yeah. I mean, you know, is. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Riley Gaines, in case you are not aware, uh, she's a former SEC swimmer, swam at Kentucky, and she swam against Leah Thomas, who right. is a man right. um, who was about, what, a tenth of a second ahead of her, and they technically tied or something. I can't remember the exact story, but basically the NCAA said, well, uh, Leah Thomas is going to have her or his pitcher taking uh, with the yeah, trophy. Yeah, so they needed yet, uh, specifically you. said what Riley shared with us is that they said we need the photo op. 
Yeah. What the heck is that? Photo op. But the other thing was that they had to use the same dressing room. Right. They had to change in front of one another uh, because the NCAA is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's right. And so uh, her her um, her cohort there on this uh, this policy tour actually was on the team at Pennsylvania, Paula Scanlon, and she talked about the just the the difficulty, the discomfort, as you can imagine, having to dress with a man. It just is. It's a biological man, this Leah Thomas person, said that one of the members of the team actually refused to dress in the locker room because of fear and was would, would dress and undress elsewhere. Yeah. Like use the, the single stall bathroom or something like that to that effect, rather than using the official female athletic locker room at the swimming complex. So that's crazy. It's just crazy. Um, she is uh, Paula from Connecticut, and she made the point that, you know, Connecticut certainly no uh, no bastion of conservatism, but didn't really describe it as as far left as, say, California, Washington, Oregon, which are about as crazy as it gets on all this stuff. But she said that that when this really started to get national attention, her father got concerned about their safety, her safety, their safety, because she was speaking out against this. This, this just this isn't right. We have this male on the swimming team. And the father, of course, a little different in Connecticut than it is here in Mississippi. Father says, maybe I need to go buy a gun. Now, most houses in Mississippi, honestly, have guns, I would argue. It's just kind of common in our culture. We have lots of, of hunters, and we're sort of just raised on it. No big deal, right, in Mississippi. But in Connecticut, it's a little different. I mean, it, it's a little tough to, to get... Um, a gun in Connecticut relative to other states, but the Second Amendment still does live in Connecticut. But I just thought that kind of stayed with me that for the first time they're thinking about buying a gun and, and more importantly, you know, concerned about their safety. And you shouldn't be concerned about your daughter's safety while they're going to school, college, and and uh, competing in NCAA Division One athletics at a high level like that. It's just so upside-down crazy. So the other thing Riley said was she said that there are a lot of female and other and male athletes, but mainly female athletes. We always talk about, well, where are the feminists? Why aren't they speaking up? Why aren't they coming to the defense of this, this policy and being critical of the craziness going on? She said that privately they are, that many have approached oh. her. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that. She said they just all say... I'm afraid of going public with it because I could lose my job. I could be attacked. It could, they could uh, uh, start threatening huh. uh, the safety of myself and my family. She even said that she had a private conversation with the, with the president of the University of Pennsylvania about letting Leah Thomas play on the girls' sports uh, swimming team. And, and she said that the University of Pennsylvania president confided in her I actually support you, keep doing what you're doing, but I just can't do it publicly. Now, that's crazy. we got to start standing up for what's right. And you got to put your own little personal situation aside. Now, I get it. 
if you're concerned about your safety, but man, at some point, you got to take a stand in order for us to prevail here on just what is just common sense fairness, honestly. That was surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, because you wouldn't think that someone who runs an Ivy League school, which honestly, this Leah Thomas uh, situation and uh, that incident probably put this issue on the map, if you think about it, in, in terms of males competing, crossing over, competing in female sports. Uh, it put it on the map. And so it was, I guess, uh, somewhat welcome to hear that Riley had been approached by. She said, actually, the way she described it without disclosing any names is, these are high-profile, prominent athletes that everybody in this room would know on the female side. But they're just not going to do it publicly. Uh, you probably know about crazy Keith Oberman. Who attacked her, uh, yes. Former ESPN Sports Center anchor, had a show on MSNBC, whose resume looks very impressive if you look at it backwards. Uh, <laughs> exactly. He's currently unemployed. <laughs> well, of course, you know, he attacked her, basically said, You're just a bad swimmer, get over it, because she, she tied, didn't lose, tied a male. Yeah, and and she shared with us her 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 various distinctions, awards, and, and well, championships, is which is incredible. The response that she had for Keith Olbermann was she had a video, she had her phone out, and she says, uh, "I'm going to show you all my trophies that I've won since you said that I'm a mediocre athlete." And right. she actually broke one of her SEC Swimmer of the Year trophies. She says, "But no matter, I have another one." <laughs> Because <laughs> she had won multiple ones. <laughs> Oberman specifically said, can you just address the reality and move past it? You sucked at swimming. That's why you lost. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's one of the most decorated swimmers in, in the history of Kentucky Wildcat female swimming. She played an instrumental role in the Wildcats clinching their first ever conference championship title in 2021 in just a series, as you said, that she shares in her video of of uh, of other championships and awards that she has won, including several current records at the collegiate swimming level. But of course, in in that in those awards, uh, she's competing with people that are like her. They're biological yeah. females. How has this turned this country upside down? Nice. Think about the fact that that even the governor says we're going to have to go pass legislation to define a woman. It's crazy. That is crazy. Now, yesterday, you recall, we shared the story of uh, the transgender homecoming queen, second at this high school in uh, in Missouri, I believe, had one in 2015, who is now detransitioning or something like that. How did we get so wrapped up like a knot over this whole deal? It, this is It's not just this deal. It's everything, Gerard. You got the Canadian Parliament. Something. <laughs> Celebrating a Nazi, a literal Nazi. <laughs> a standing ovation. A standing ovation and didn't know it. <laughs> that is absolutely true. That, and then many of them are now taken aback at what they've learned since, and they're, uh, they're sort of uh, rescinding their praise. We're stepping aside for a break. we got Woody Bailey at 1105, Executive Director of Cruising the Coast, and the Mayor of Oxford, Robin Tannehill, at 1205. We're in the Element Well Studio, coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
by the record machine I knew he must have been about 17 We are back in the Element Well studio So Jeff on the C Spire text line Jeff of Forest County says This is just no big deal that's the same experience I had with uh, a Democrat that I encountered a couple of weeks ago at an event. I shared that on the show, Will, that basically said Republicans just need to drop this issue. This is not a big deal, and you should not be concerned. So, Jeff, you're no doubt aware of the incident where a volleyball player experienced a concussion that was playing in a game against an opponent which had a male on its volleyball team. And that male was right along the net. My understanding is, well, the net volleyball is lower for females than it is for males. Because males jump higher. They're stronger, etc. And this person, this male, who was uh, honestly pretending to be a female, it's really what it is, spiked the ball. The video is viral. You've seen it. Spiked the ball, and it hit this female player right on the head. Sustained a, yeah. a concussion. Still struggling with medical issues. That's okay, Jeff. That's nothing. That's fake outrage, as you call it. Seriously? Where's your compassion, man? Where's your concern, right? You people on the left, you always lecture us on the right as just being uncaring. We just don't care about people. And you you no doubt know about this case of the male who was extended a bid to the Kappa Gamma, Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming that is now in the chapter. There's lawsuits underway, and uh, it's making the females in the chapter extremely uncomfortable. This person's walking around aroused in the sorority house, talking inappropriately, yeah, acting like what a male would do if they lived in a sorority house, because he is one. Prisoners. Think about this. You're going to prison for murder. This has happened. I'm not a man anymore. I'm a female. Yeah. Oh, well, you go to the female prison. That's right. And they're doing that in uh, New York, I understand. And the other thing I read about <laughs> was that <laughs> in the all-female prisons in New York, they have signage, messaging, on how to avoid getting pregnant. It's all females. It takes a male to tango in that duo to produce a child, to impregnate a female. That's just how nutty it is. But it's no big deal, right, Jeff? Oh, it's just hyperbole outliers. Jeff, you need to wake up, dude. This crap's happening across this country. I guess you're okay with with uh, tampons and menstruation products being placed in Elementary and middle school bathrooms for the males, the male bathrooms. That's okay. That's just hyperbole. That 
There are some school districts in this country that teach that gender is just something adults made up. There's no such thing as biological gender. That we have a Supreme Court justice who refuses to define a female when asked by a U.S. senator and rather responds with, well, I'm not a biologist. Well, it's like Riley Gaines said this morning, hell, I'm not a veterinarian, but I know what a dog is. Same deal. That's insane. It's not hyperbole. It's nonsense. It's craziness. You've got some elementary schools that are, are teaching kids how to engage in various sexual acts, including same-sex acts. It's, it's nuts. But you're okay with that, right, Jeff? You're okay with that sort of stuff. I, I saw the other day where a church, that's a private organization, they do whatever they want. They're celebrating drag queens. They invited drag queens to come and address the congregation. They're celebrating, they're praying, they're lauding them in a church. You've got schools that are bringing in drag queens to have these storybook hours, and you think they're just reading, they're not. They're doing their performance, which is targeted, designed for, for adults, not kill children. It's totally inappropriate, but you're okay with that. That's the modern-day left. He says, nope, you found outliers. Outliers, my butt! This is consuming this country. We played the tape from back in June. That was Pride Month. The whole dang month Pride Month. And we played the sound from the, the commander of the Space Force. I can't remember her name, Lieutenant, Rear, Admiral, something or that. I don't remember the exact rank. But a high-ranking individual who's the commander of the Space Force. That's the new branch of the military established under President Trump. And she was making a speech about Pride Month, how the Space Force and the military in general, must embrace the LGBTQIA community because it's both a force multiplier, that's what she said, and a war-fighting imperative. Now, what that tells me is we can't fight wars unless we got gay people in the military. Regardless of where you stand on allowing gay people to serve in the military, we can't fight wars without that? That seems like a stretch. Also said, and I found this hard to believe, that the military must embrace the LGBTQIA community because the, uh, the, the recruiting age that they are pursuing, which are those, she said, born between 1997 and 2004, that one in five Americans are LGBTQIA. 20%. One in five? That sounded high to me. I've never seen such statistics. This is coming from the U.S. military. So you've got the U.S. Air Force with a 45-page transgender guide. But that's hyperbole. That's an outlier, according to Jeff. That's what our military is spending their time on. Now, I've had people on the text line say, well, they can do both. Yeah, but that, you don't hear about the other stuff. All you hear about is their focus on CRT and crazy gender ideology. I dare say our most ardent foes in Russia and China probably aren't including that in their training. You know what they're talking about? Blowing us up. That's what they're talking about. And this is what we're concerned about. 
And there's all kinds of talk, as you know, on the Hill about funding the government, because here we go again, we're out of money. And uh, we got only a couple of days till the government shuts down without funding. And so there are members of the House, Republicans, that oppose taxpayer funding of gender transition services, so-called gender affirmation care. It's really sex change surgery. We're paying for that. And there are Republicans who oppose that in the House, and therefore they're blocking passage of the spending bill. They want to change that. That's part of the discretionary component of spending includes defense. Part of defense spending includes taxpayer funding of gender transition surgery. I just don't see how that is so critical and crucial to building what should be a lethal warfighting machine. That's the purpose of the military. Unbelievable. Um, he says, Jeff, of course, not not nobody. I don't know what that means. That's a double negative. Not nobody's okay with that except for Sunday schools. That's not true, Jeff, and I'm telling you, Democrats as well are waking up. And poll after poll shows that the majority of Americans, regardless of political stripe, and if you got the majority of Americans, of course that would include uh, members of both parties, folks that would define themselves as affiliated with both parties. They're saying no to this nonsense of their female athletes competing with males, of their third grader girls having to deal with boys in the bathroom. It's even a bigger problem, as you know, when you get into the high school levels, where the boys say, oh yeah, I identify as a female, so they can just help themselves to the girls' bathroom and do whatever the heck they want. That's okay. We don't care about them. We only care about the .0001% of the people. That's the tyranny of the minority. But we don't have any concern about, say, the young high school volleyball player who who uh, incurred a concussion and now has serious medical problems as a result. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts coming back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. When they made uh, great videos. It was really music television featured yeah. it. Gypsy was one of the best. Man. They don't do much better than Fleetwood Mac, I'll uh-uh. tell you that. Stevie Nicks there on vocals with Christine McVie. Passed away, what, last year? Yeah, last ago? year. 
the great Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, Lindsey Buckingham. What a group they were. Man. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, uh, speaking of groups and music, uh, we have a nice article on our site today. Appreciate J.T. Mitchell, our news director, for getting that out there, talking about the Big Journey Freedom Tour coming up. Yeah. Kicks off in Biloxi at the Gulf Coast Coliseum. So you think this is the first time they've played Mississippi? I can't remember them. Somebody may um, date me on this, but, you know, since I've been attending Journey concerts, I don't remember them coming to Mississippi. Maybe they came to Jackson um, a long time ago, back in their heyday in the early 80s or maybe late 70s. Yeah, I just don't, don't remember. But, oh, they're going to be with Toto. Yeah, Toto, and that's who I saw him with last time. Toto opens up for them, and they're fantastic as well. Yeah. Steve Lukather on lead guitar. Uh, but they're coming to Biloxi February the 9th to kick off the 2024 Freedom Tour. And uh, full disclosure, Will, already got tickets. <laughs> only, only thing I'm disappointed, we, we're on row three. I got to get to row one, so I'm sure if somebody scarfed those up and they'll be selling them. I'll be on row one, <laughs> right in the middle, row three. That was pretty quick. Yeah, I, I, I signed that task to my daughter. She gets to go uh, along with my wife and her boyfriend, and so the four of us are headed down there to enjoy. It's February the ninth. That's a Friday. Yeah, and we're staying at the uh, Beau Rivage down there. I'm gonna play a little golf on Saturday if the weather permits at the Fallen Oak. Golf course, which is fantastic golf course. So I'm looking forward to the big so, and that's journey the first, concert. That's the first show of the tour. They're opening up the tour in Biloxi. How dang cool is that? Now, their their uh, schedule only goes out what to uh, not uh, through the whole year through April. And I saw yesterday, and <clears throat> the junkie like I am tracking Neil Sean, the lead guitarist. He said there is more coming, folks. Friends, he calls us friends. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, I don't know how old the guys from Journey are, but... 70s. 70s. Okay, looking at the schedule. Yeah. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 shows in the month of February alone. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. I can't do 12 shows, and I just have to sit here. I don't have to I get know. up and sink. <laughs> I know. I don't see how they do it, honestly, night after night. Wow. It is incredible. I mean, some of them are back-to-back. Several of them are back-to-back. Uh, and they're all over. the. Especially, they're kind of hitting the south first. So yeah. Mississippi, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, North Carolina. Then they move up to Maryland, Rhode Island, New York, Kentucky. Yep. South Dakota, North Dakota. Winds up in Bridgeport, Connecticut on April 29th. I, I believe, wow. I believe uh, JT's article says 29. Is that right? 29 dates? Did I read that right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, that is a bunch. So, yes, uh, yeah, that's right. He says the 50th anniversary Freedom Tour set to kick off February 9th in Biloxi at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum. They hit the road after that for 29 additional, so 30 shows. Wow. <laughs> Between January and April. That's 10 a month. That's a lot. I, that is. Especially when you're on up there in age a little bit. But uh, I look forward to that. Should be fun, and and uh, proud that they're coming to Mississippi first. That's that's a pretty big deal. Mississippi, I don't know what it is, uh, but we especially like the Tupelo, 
Uh, Cadence Bank Arena has gotten a lot of yeah, big acts that sure come there first because of the acoustics. Yeah. Um, because of the location, if you think about it, Mississippi's kind of in the middle of everything. Uh, New Orleans, you know, uh, Atlanta. So I guess I'm trying to think of some of the the big acts that I know that have started their tours in hmm. Mississippi. I think Elton John, um, I think probably about 15 right. years ago, started his tour. I, I went to that concert. Uh, Reba McIntyre's done it a couple times. So yeah, the I know the the Cadence Bank Arena in um, in Tupelo, Tupelo is really known for its acoustics, and the reason why they start there is because it's a smaller arena, but the acoustics are really good, so they can get their sound down before okay. they move off to some of these bigger arenas. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I look forward to this. I've seen them at Smoothie King in New Orleans, which is a good venue yeah. as well. And of course, we bought the uh, the VIP tickets. That just allows you to get in early and have a little. Not with the band, but have a little reception with your fellow VIP people. But the other big thing is you get first dibs on the merchandise. So before uh, the crowds come in, you get to go scarf up the merchandise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which they sell a ton of. All these concerts do. So are you the guy that wears the Journey t-shirt to the to the concert? You, you? I have, but <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not quite that much of a junkie, but... Um, uh, I do have a collection, shall I say, of Journey t-shirts. So I was in the uh, one of the coffee shops here locally. Uh, this is how crazy things are. And I had I had my Journey, one of my Journey t-shirts on. I think I had the 2018 tour. It was Journey and Def Leppard, if I'm not mistaken. And I had it on. And one of the young, um, one of the young baristas there said, um, Man, are you a Journey fan? I said, yeah. He says, I love Journey. Now, this guy's probably not 30. You know, he's in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And so we start talking. And of course, I have to I have to impart on him all the knowledge and all the videos and the, and the history and sort of stuff. Like, for example, Separate Ways, which is uh, our, our teaser, our lead-in, our introductory mm-hmm. tune, I guess we call it, that you hear um, at 10 o'clock every day. That was, of course, a, a, a video during the, the music video era. It's a popular video. It was recorded in New Orleans, really? on, on the wharf of New Orleans there. Yeah. And the young lady featured in the video is a New Orleanian. I've actually seen an interview with her, how she got selected and her thoughts about the video. And it's, it's a typical cheesy kind of, you know, 80s video. Yeah. But it's actually shot on the wharf there, along the river, in oh. New Orleans. And, they, and there's a story about why they chose that that setting for the video. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, Journey's one of those bands that has just endured. I mean, they had, a, a obviously, a large number of hits. But, you know, really the thing that sets them apart from a lot of other bands is this, the soundtracks that they've been on. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, you think about a lot of big movies um, that have, you know, recognizable soundtracks, and, and they've been on them. And then the... P.S. The Resistance was The Sopranos. Yeah, that's right. Don't stop believing. Yeah. I mean, the, probably, Gerard, the most talked about finale since Seinfeld, yeah. since MASH, uh, was that sign, that Sopranos finale and the way that it ended. And it ended with Don't Stop Believing and, you know, the screen going black. And I, I remember watching that, Gerard, and m- literally hitting my TV, <laughs> my tube TV, going, What's wrong with the TV? There's something wrong with it. It went black. No, that was intentional. Yeah, that's right. And that that song kind of helped. No you know. doubt. No doubt. Uh, yeah, but, you know, you're right about that. If, if your music is still 
entertaining people and providing pleasure to people and across the, the decades and, and across the age spectrum, which is incredible. But, you know, they sold out every, every event last year. Everyone sold out. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, but looking forward to that. They're coming. Amanda from Pike County on the C Spire text line, that's 601-879-4395, says, I know one thing, Leah Thomas needs to try harder. She makes one homely chick. Amanda, go out and look at the, the male who is a member of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. That's the other thing that the girls who, who filed the lawsuit. So the, the background on that, Will, is the sorority extended this male a bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's the virtue signaling crap. Oh, we're going to do something here that everybody's going to really recognize and laud us for. We're going to let this male who identifies as a female in the sorority chapter here. But there were a number of girls that didn't support that, didn't approve of that. They're the ones that are suing. They're suing the headquarters for saying, you really haven't provided what you agreed to provide, which is a sisterhood. You can't have a sisterhood when you got a male involved then. Now, there are people maybe like Jeff who would argue that's not the case, but this person isn't even trying to look like a female. I mean, it's kind of sad, honestly. You see these these lovely young ladies in these photos, and then all of a sudden you see this dude, and it's kind of a homely dude, like Amanda says. Certainly homely as a female, trying to be one. Go take a look at that, Amanda. Incredible. A male weightlifter just broke the female record in a, in a meet by 400 pounds. You okay with that, Jeff, says Wayne in Batesville? Also, why are states like Connecticut so overwhelmingly literal? What, what, liberal? What set of circumstances produces that result? I contend that the liberal education system is affecting red states. This has to change, says Gary in the Burr. Coming right back with Fleetwood Mac bumping us out of this segment. Once again, Woody Bailey with Cruising the Coast at 11.05, Mayor Robin Tannehill at 12.05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. So, I just want y'all to know, I'm hungry. I got the old colonoscopy tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have been on the can't eat thing since 6 o'clock last night. My procedure's at 7.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, tomorrow morning, pardon me. So, I'm, uh, you know, first I got first one in, huh? Yeah, I will be the first one in. I like to kind of get it over with. This will be my sixth, by the way. Uh, don't mind talking about that. In 2006, I actually had uh, colon cancer. 2006, that was discovered in a routine 
colonoscopy and actually was recommended that I go get one simply from a routine physical where um, typically the physician in a routine physical will test for a little blood um, in the stool. And uh, some showed up, and he said, it's probably nothing, but uh, you really ought to go ahead. And I was not 50. It's recommended after 50. I was not 50 at the time. said, you probably ought to go ahead and, and have a colonoscopy, and because you have symptoms, this was before the Affordable Care Act, um, insurers pay for it, right? So after the Affordable Care Act, that's considered wellness care, and that's covered. But, um, and I did, and had two polyps. One was benign, one was cancerous, and was recommended. It was actually dissension amongst the physicians in the, in the uh, GI shop. That's what half, you love to hear. Yes. Yeah, half said do the surgery, and half said don't. And I elected to do it, and I was in the hospital about six days. It's brutal. Now, it's much better now, not nearly as morbid and invasive, but I was in the hospital six days. Good news is... There was zero spread uh, metastasis, and so I was I was good to go. No further treatment. Just have to do follow up, and this, so this is my sixth. I'm on the every five year plan. Knock on wood, please say a prayer. I've never had another polyp in 17 years. Well, and I don't expect to have one honestly. But you're ahead of this thing now because um, you see the ads from the various GI. Um, centers, when they say, hey, come get screened, you're preventing cancer, that's because colon cancer starts as a polyp. It doesn't just show up as cancer. So it's one of the most preventable, right? It's it, Nobody should ever die of colon cancer, honestly, because um, it shows up as a polyp. It takes um, 10 years. Last time I, I researched that, which was a long time ago, when you try to learn everything you can, you know, when you're going through those sort of things. We have this thing called the Internet now where all that information is widely available. In fact, my primary care doctor said, you probably know more about this than I do at this point, just because I had researched it, you know, the heck and back when I had it. And as I recall, it, like, takes two years from the time a polyp starts to form till it becomes visible when they do the microscopic colonoscopy, and then it takes 10 years for it to, to develop into cancer. It's extremely slow. That's why, typically, if you go and you don't have any polyps, they'll say, come back in 10 years. Or if you're a person like me who's had them before, and you go and you don't have any, it's come back in five years. Or if you have one, they'll say, okay, come back in two or three. Um, and that that's the reason for those time frames uh, in that. So, yeah, it's incredibly uh, preventable, and no reason in this country anyone should uh, suffer from uh, death, certainly, from colon cancer. So I'm, I'm in good shape and uh, expect a good report and uh, will be back in the studio on Thursday. But having to step aside tomorrow for that purpose and get to uh, enjoy the lovely task of getting ready for that later on today. So you can't eat anything. I have not been able to eat solid food. I mean, this is common for anybody going through a colonoscopy. It's it's based on the time of day. Yours is scheduled. So uh, mine is scheduled at 7.30 a.m. So as of 6 o'clock last night, I had to stop eating solid food. Did so you just go, go to town on burger and fries before the, the yeah, time period? 
Yeah, I had chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so this is crazy. I had chicken fingers about 5 o'clock. I really wasn't that hungry at 5 o'clock. But you knew you had to eat. Yeah, I had to eat. And then I attended the uh, Madison County Republican Women had their uh, their meeting um, in Madison County last night. Commissioner Sean Tindall was kind enough to come address the group. I'm an associate member. You know, I'm not a voting a regular member, a so-called associate member. Basically means I pay my dues to to just associate, as I do in Rankin County as well. But the commissioner was uh, was great. Saw him this morning uh, on with Mary Weed. And then this morning went to the Riley Gaines event, and all I can have is black coffee. Can't even have, um, you know, any no dairy products. You can eat popsicles, but no red popsicles. It's a true story. <laughs> but that's all part of it, and I'm grateful for the marvelous technology that honestly uh, took care of me big time. Bruce in the cab says, enjoy that green jello. Oh, man, isn't that great? <laughs> I'll be starving tomorrow about this time, though. We're stepping aside for a break because it's top of the hour. That means Fox News and Super Talk News coming back with Woody Bailey, executive director of Cruising the Coast. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live from the Element Well Studio. We thank you so much for joining us. We welcome now Woody Bailey, Executive Director of Cruise in the Coast. Yes. Hey, Woody, what's going on there, man? Hey, John, how you doing? We're doing great. Everything's great. We're getting good. We're getting ready for a big event this year. A lot, a lot happening down here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast right now. Looking forward to everybody coming to see us. Yes, sir. Always a lot of fun. Always look forward to it. And uh, one thing that we uh, can typically always count on is fantastic weather. And I bet we're going to have that again. I'm counting on it. And I'm sure you are, too. And uh, what's it look like? you got lots of folks uh, already registered to come. We do, uh, Gerard. I tell you, we had our our pre-registration number is uh, eighty five fifteen, and that was as of August fifteenth. We don't register anymore until starting next Monday. Wow! So we're four hundred over four hundred and ninety ahead of where we were last year at that point in time. So wow! Normally, if year to year, we're a couple couple hundred ahead, but now we're over almost close to five hundred ahead. So pretty impressive right now. We are preparing for ten thousand people to register. Last year, the number Final number was 9,618. So we'll see if we hit 10,000 or not, but uh, we're going to be ready if we do. Yeah. It's it's incredible, Woody, the, the, the job that you and your team do, and it's, it's kind of unique in the country. I know you I always marvel when I talk to you about the people that you have met through the years, the people that come from all over the country to participate or, or just be a spectator and to see these incredible classic vehicles. 
That's correct. That's correct. We have uh, right now 43 states, Canada and England uh, that are uh, signed up to be here. We'll probably have a few more states that will pick up on uh, on-site registration. But yes, we love our spectators to come. You don't even have to have a car to enjoy cruising the coast. Please come in and see uh, this event and, and all that has to offer, which is plenty. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And of course, uh, I was just on the coast uh, over the weekend. Woody, it just seems like things are really hopping down there, man. Lots of traffic, lots of activity, lots of new construction. Things really look good. They do. Uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast is always a fun place to, to be and, uh, and enjoy. And so, like I say, we surely want to invite everybody uh, from all over the state to come come see us this weekend. If you hadn't made a room reservation yet, there, I think there's still time to, to make some and uh, uh, pack up and, and, and come see us. Uh, you know, we, we get started on, uh, on Sunday and run to uh, Sunday the 8th, and there's plenty to do, burnouts, flamethrowing competition, we have the Beach Boys playing. Uh, we have celebrities here. Looks like Miss America and Miss Mississippi are going to be here, too. So we're excited about that. The Oscar Mayer Frank Mobile is going to be here. <laughs> a lot of people are excited about that coming uh, to Cruising the Coast this year. So lots to do and uh, lots to enjoy. And if Mother Nature treats us right, uh, it should be perfect. I looked at the forecast. It looks great at this point. Uh, looks like we should expect uh, the typical fantastic uh, early October weather that we experience here in Mississippi. And that always makes it uh, that just much more fun. That's why people need to go. Exactly. We uh, I, I say, like I say, get get ready and come on down here and see us because it's going to be quite a show. Uh, there's just so so much happening this year. Uh, we're uh, Mississippi Gulf Fresh Seafood is our presenting sponsor. So we've got some seafood sampling that's going to take place at Centennial Plaza and Gulfport on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So yeah. just uh, just a little bit of everything is going to be happening here on on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So everybody just makes your plans to come see us. Woody, this this wouldn't be possible, would it, without the cooperation of so many um, at the county and municipal level, uh, in government, law enforcement, et cetera. I mean, they're 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 critical components of pulling this off uh, so smoothly as it does, as it happens every year. So, would you say that? That's correct. Uh, also, too, from a sponsorship uh, standpoint, Visit Mississippi is, yeah. is one of our big sponsors, too. So it goes to the state level. I work with state tourism, too. But, yes, we have this year, for uh, in particular, we have Waveland back involved. So now we have all 12 cities along the Mississippi Gulf Coast and the three coastal counties. So all the police departments, the sheriff departments, everybody working together, the volunteers, it's uh, it's quite a, a mix of people to make cruising a success, and we're fortunate that we continue to do that. And uh, as you probably know, we've been been uh, nominated again as a number one car show in the country by yep. USA Today again. And uh, so that's that's very special that we're up against a lot of stiff competition all over the country, and people love Mississippi and yep. coming to. Cruising the coast. Yeah, congratulations. Quite the distinction, uh, Woody. The economic impact uh, to the coastal area and really the entire <laughs> state of Mississippi is significant. It is. It is. We do a study every five years. Our last one was in 2021. 
36.1 million when you include the entire state because people are come through South Haven, Meridian, Vicksburg, all those cities coming into uh, our, our area here. And then when you look at the three coast counties, uh, we have 30, it's $33.1 million. And that, those numbers are a 27% increase over where we were in 2016, the, the time, the last time we did the study. So, uh, Things are things are looking good for for this event for the and for the state of Mississippi. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, it's a situation as well where we get the three coastal counties working together. Uh, you again uh, from the mayor's offices right. on down. These guys really do work together to to make this a successful event. Yes, I am fairly well welcome in, in, in most of the cities when I, I come in and start talking about cruising the coast because everybody knows what the impact is for for their location. That's why I'm so happy the Waveland's back on board this year. And uh, so everybody's getting to participate in it. And and uh, the interaction we have throughout the state uh, is, 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 is really a good thing, too. Woody, are there any vehicles that you've been uh, apprised of that are going to be at the show that maybe are unique, special, haven't had before, anything you've heard along those lines? It's incredible, the lineup, honestly. Well, you know, that's what's neat about cruising the coast, the lineup. We'll have a vehicle that's worth $15,000, and we'll have another vehicle that's worth $2 million that's here. So you never know what's going to show up. All the builders love coming to cruising the coast because they can relax and enjoy the event. Uh, The 1913 Cadillac Touring car currently is our oldest car that's registered. So we'll we'll see what shows up. Uh, I'm not sure. It always amazes me what, what shows up during our event. And and these uh, classic car enthusiasts, Woody, I, I've always noted that there there's a special bond that exists between them. And though they're sort of competing sometimes, they they actually help each other. I mean, they they share ideas and sh- and share information, and, uh, and and talk about their personal experiences to to help each other. They do uh, camaraderie between all the folks here, and uh, just. Uh, the uh, the other side of the fact that it's uh, cruising the coast is sort of a reunion. People from all over the country yeah. come here and they get to see each other, uh, you know, at least once a year. So yes, uh, it's uh, it's a bond uh, that has uh, been you know going on for quite some time. This is our twenty seventh year for this event, so a lot of friendships and uh, and relationships have developed over the years, you know, because of cruising the coast. So if if folks want to come. Uh, tell them what they need to know about uh, registering tickets, any of that sort of stuff. Well, at Centennial Plaza in Gulfport, which is on Highway 90, uh, is our headquarters. So if they need any information, you know, please stop by there. Uh, cruisingthecoast.com is our website. All our whole schedule is listed there. That's the easiest for people, particularly from out of town, to yeah. just go to that website, and it tells you everything you need to know. And uh, come see us, and uh, like I say, and, and enjoy the event. It's, it's going to be a, a fun time for everyone. Yeah, always is, no doubt about that. Uh, what about the uh, hotel situation? Are they they reporting that they're booked solid at this point? I don't think solid uh, yet. Uh, I think we're going to be close. Our occupancy, you know, runs in the ninety-five percent range uh, as we get toward the last weekend of cruising the coast. So their rooms, uh, I think, still out there. And, 
probably not many of the, the, the beachfront rooms are usually the first to go. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but still, uh, along I-10 and some of the other corridors, I, I think there are rooms available. And uh, so just, just check it out and have people look into it and come see us. Sounds good, Woody. We look forward to it. We'll be down there next week on the Biloxi Green, and uh, we'll be talking to you and lots of other folks and seeing those beautiful vehicles. Appreciate all you do, Woody. We'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. We'll see you Wednesday. Yes, sir. Coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Robin Tannehill, the mayor of Oxford at Keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. like Journey's been to Jackson either three or four times. The information I'm looking at is a little... Are you on the the Journey forum? Are are these the the experts or how are you... I'm looking at something called Guest Spectacular. Says they've paid... Journey has played in Jackson four out of 2,274 concerts. They played, uh, they debuted here in Jackson on July 21st, but I'm also showing that they were here on July 25th. So that doesn't add up in the same year, 1978. And then in 1980 and in 1999. That's what I'm showing. But it's a little sketchy. And in fact, I'm looking at the Journey set list from the July 25th concert, which is uh, really fascinating to take a look at. But I believe they've been. Also to Biloxi already. In fact, somebody said they saw him here, I believe. Journey came to Tupelo four or five years ago. Yeah, I do remember that one. I do remember oh, that they when they came. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that because somebody it – was, it was on a tour that I went to see him in New Orleans. They came to Tupelo in New Orleans. I, I didn't go to Tupelo. I met Steve and Neil at Mr. Ed's Pizza in Jackson the night before the concert on the ceasefire text line. That'd be Steve Perry and Neil Sean, the guitarist. How do you get tickets not going on sale this Friday? Yeah, if you buy the VIP tour or you have a Citibank credit card, you can buy the so-called pre-sale tickets. That's the only way. Otherwise, that's right. They don't go on sale to the so-called general public. But you got to buy the VIP, um, not the VIP tour, the VIP passes, I think is what they call it. 
Um, that's the, that's the only way you you get the uh, the early pick of the tickets. VIP package, that's what they call it. So, and there are multiple tiers of that. You know, everything's commercialized like that. So, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we've purchased that. But somebody said, Brian and Madison said, Madison says, the South Haven not count. Maybe that's where they came. Somebody said they came to Tupelo, I think Bancorp South Arena. I think they also did go to South Haven. That's okay. correct. I just couldn't remember. Thanks for people for uh, reminding me of that. But somebody said that, uh, yeah, uh, Lafayette. County Republican women. Gina went to a Journey concert as a teenager in Jackson. I bet that was it then. So according to what I could find, 78, 99, and 1980, 70, 78, 80, 99. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Then And those were various tours they had going on. I think in 78, that would have been the Infinity Tour. And that's Honestly, before a lot of their well or better known hits were produced, that came in Frontiers and Escape. But we're digressing a bit of that. Appreciate all the info. Journey was at the Green Space in downtown Jackson next to Bank in 1995. Really? I don't know about that. I can't imagine them playing it for such a small crowd, honestly. The Green Space, I mean, typically where they play, it's 40,000, 50,000. But, okay. Jason in will says he wears his leather jacket with classified documents in the coat pocket. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Maybe I will. Oh, that's awesome on the ceasefire text line. Uh, look at the 662 there, uh, Will, at 1045. That is a shot of Jonathan Kane, the key- keyboard player, with his keyboards. It's hard to tell, but in the background, that kind of silver, that's Separate Ways, our intro song. That's Jonathan Kane on the keyboard. It's kind of cheesy, and that the background there is like the, the corrugated metal wall yeah. of, a, of, a, of a, like a warehouse on a wharf is what that is. And that was New Orleans. Yeah, super cheesy. But all the, the 80s video, I mean, none of the 80s videos are exactly... Martin Scorsese. Okay. Well, he didn't have all the technology. You didn't have all today. the technology. And they were just experimenting, trying to figure it out. You know what would make sense. Some what, of them made no sense. That's why hair metal was so big because they were it's doing true. all these theatrics on stage and they just put a camera in front of it. Uh, you know, the other one was uh, Duran Duran was known for their yeah uh, kind of innovative videos. Rio's the one they're just cruising out on an ocean there on what whatever those boats are. They go some real them, fast. Yeah, some of them are, are clippers. Are incredibly impressive still, like Aha, Take On Me. Yeah, that, that was, video, I still don't know how they did all that stuff. Yeah, that was considered um, really revolutionary. The other one was, was Peter Gabriel, I think. Oh, Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. That one got all kinds of awards, as it's I recall. It's still amazing. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, because of the technology involved in producing that during that time frame. But for every one of those, you have about 20, like, uh, Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Yeah, you know, looks like something. Um, it looks like a Minecraft video. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all the animation stuff. Going to catch a Journey tribute band departure during cruising the coast. That might be the extent of my Journey experience, says Andy and Jackson. I hear you, man. Enjoy. Hopefully, the government will shut down. Who cares? So well, where are we at with that? Well, uh, we got four days. 
and we run out of money, uh, and the government will shut down. Now, there, there are lots of different schools of thought on this. I see Donald Trump is encouraging McCarthy and the Republicans in the House to just let it shut down. Let it go. Um, and then there are others uh, like Mitch McConnell, for example, who says that you know this, these shutdowns always end up being blamed on Republicans, and it, and it uh, does not bode well for Republicans from a political perspective. That's his viewpoint on the deal. But we are four days away, and there are you know, lots of negotiations, I think it's safe to say going on right now. Uh, you've got some strong feelings in the House, for sure, about addressing spending. But this is what's crazy to me, is we're only talking about es- essentially 15%. You could say 30 if you encountered defense, but um, and there are some certainly some Republicans in the House that want to change defense spending, or take a hard look at that and modify that. I get it, because they haven't really been the best stewards of money as the Pentagon. But the the part that's on autopilot, the mandatory spending, they don't even touch. You can't. You can't without changing law. It's not appropriated. It just continues on forever. And in, and the, the mere mention of changing that that structure, that approach, draws the ire from people that honestly bodes unfavorably for Republicans. Because the Democrats say, see, I told you those Republicans, they want to shut down your Social Security and your Medicare, which isn't true. But the average person believes that. They just do. And so when they vote, say, I can't vote for a Republican. They want to shut down my Medicare and Social Security. That's the way it works. I mean, they leverage that very effectively. That's just so there's been like Senator... Um, oh, shoot, from name escapes you right now. One of the Republicans, the senior senators from Wisconsin. His name escapes me. You'll come Ron, out with uh, a minute. Johnson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is it Ron? Ron Johnson, yeah. yes. So he's the one that's proposed, hey, maybe we ought to look at, and so has Rick Scott in Florida. Maybe every five years the sun sets on these programs and we have to vote to refund them. Man, that just got unbelievable <laughs> lambasting. It's not an unwise thing to do. I mean, it's a prudent thing to do because, hey, let's check in. How's this working? What's the trajectory? Can we afford it? Do we need to, to make some changes here? But good grief. The, again, just a mere uttering of such just caused the left to go apoplectic. And it's like, they want to shut down your Medicare and Social Security. You won't get any checks next month if this goes into effect, and that kind of stuff. Which is not true. It's just saying, hey, this is unsustainable. We don't even look at it right now. Zero discussion. So it's crazy when you think about we're running out of money, but but we're only running out of money for 30% of the government spending. The other 70% is fine. We're not running out of money. And that's honestly where the Democrats are being dishonest and disingenuous because that's not appropriated. We're only talking about the 30% that is. That's defense and all the other government apparatus outside of the, the programs of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the various government assistance programs. And then, of course, you got debt interest, which next year will be nearly 
in terms of the dollar value of spending nearly as big as defense. We're going to spend as much on interest to service the debt as we will the U.S. Department of Defense, the military, to protect this country. That just sounds insane to me on the surface. We're coming right back with uh, more in this second hour of midday. Stay with us. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. So, you were talking earlier about this, this Nazi. <laughs> A literal Nazi. That, yeah, literal Nazi. I mean, like, 90-something years old, right? 98 years old. Okay. Um, President Zelensky of the Ukraine visited Canadian Parliament with... Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the, everybody there, and they had this guy come out there, and he gave a speech or said a few words about how he was, you know, fought the Russians during World War II. And Gerard, I'm a student of history, and I saw this headline from the BBC, you know, um, and I, when I saw it, the first reaction that I had, again, as a student of history, I said, well. The only people fighting the Russians during World War II were the Nazis, <laughs> right? Even a member of the Canadian Parliament yes. made that deduction. Did you see that? Yes. Like, wait a second. Well, come to find out, he was a Nazi. Not just any old Nazi, but uh, I'll probably butcher his name, but uh, Yarsklagov <laughs> Hunka, 98, who got a standing ovation after the House of Commons Speaker Anthony Rota called him, quote, a hero during a Friday visit by Ukraine's president. He wasn't just any old Nazi. He was a Waffen-SS who, again, if you know your history, they were some of the worst of the worst. He is a Ukrainian. He did fight against Russia, but he fought on the side of the Nazis sure. during World War II, and Canadian Parliament gave him a standing ovation. Uh, and now Poland <laughs> is seeking to extradite this 98-year-old man for war crimes. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> a Canadian Prime Minister, Trudeau, <laughs> Justin Trudeau, he immediately uh, pivots to the, I guess you could call it, the Russian chat GPT talking points, because it just it's the same narrative over and over. He says, it's going to be really important that all of us push back against Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation, and continue our steadfast and unequivocal support for Ukraine. I mean... Russia, Russia, Russia. It's just unbelievable. That's all you know, he can say. Gerard, if you step back and get the you know twenty thousand foot view of this, you've got a prime minister who was m who multiple times dressed up in blackface and brownface, celebrating a Nazi, right? 
and yet somebody else, everybody else is the bad guys. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, but he did say it was deeply embarrassing to the prime minister. After they got caught. After they got caught. But let's, uh, let's be honest, they thought they had a diamond here, right? Look at us! We're showing the world how woke we are and how in solidarity we are with Ukraine, and we've brought this person that's helping Ukraine, and we're honoring them when they had this. I mean, it was a protracted standing ovation, too. Yeah. It was a dang Nazi. During World War II, Mr. Hunka served in the 14th Waffen-SS Grenadier Division, a volunteer unit made up mostly of Ukraine ethnic Ukrainians under Nazi command. Division members were accused of killing Polish and Jewish civilians, although the unit has not been found guilty under any crimes of war by a tribunal. Right. Unbelievable. Now, earlier our friend Jeff on the ceasefire text line says that all this gender stuff going on in the country is just hyperbole. It's all outliers. Now, I just sent you, if you saw the email, I just sent you a couple of links to Twitter. Rhino says we can't call it X here on the program. It's still Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> But uh, one of those features photos of drag queens in a classroom, or actually this is a restaurant, I take it back, a restaurant, but it was an event for children. And there are children sitting at the tables, and this drag queen is dressed completely inappropriately, as they almost always are parading up and down in front of children. I don't get the fascination with that, and I don't get how people like Jeff can say, that's just an outlier. That's not really happening. Just not happening, guys. It's an outlier. He made some comment about the Ooh. Superdome. Did you know? You see it? Does that uh, look? Would you let your kids attend that? I wouldn't want to attend right. that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I rest my case on that. But Jeff said that females, upon encountering a full bathroom at the Superdome, will often go into the men's bathroom. Uh, you know, if they're willing to do that in front of a bunch of men, more power to them. Um, I didn't know that was happening. I think that's crazy. Sounds to me like the Superdome needs to think about their bathroom capacity. But that's a little different then I think a male who just wants to bust up into the female bathroom has got nothing good on their mind. They're not even thinking about going to the bathroom. That's a little different situation. And these are also adults, which is different. So uh, the other thing is that I was talking about earlier is this church. It's in Dallas. And they have pledged allegiance to drag queens in the LGBT community. It's a Dallas church, the Cathedral of Hope, held a drag Sunday service to, quote, bless the sisters of perpetual indulgence, according to the Dallas Express. They, uh, they are affiliated with the United Churches of Christ, said to be the largest LGBTQ-friendly church in the world. That's hard to believe, right over there in Dallas. Said they stood by their decision, did the church leaders to host a drag group. They have been a force to help us understand that, that there is something still very deeply spiritual about us, said Reverend Neil G. Thomas. This is incredible to me, uh, and I'm watching them being 
They were led in prayer, pledging allegiance to drag queens. Pledging allegiance to them mm. in a church, at a church gathering. I'm looking at the insides of the church. It's clearly a church with the stained glass windows and the minister with the robe and, and other proper attire on. And you see the the gathering of the drag queens as they are facing the congregation here. Congregants at the Cathedral of Hope Protestant Church in Dallas were led in prayer, pledging allegiance to drag queens. Wow. Uh, he actually conducted a, a sermon, did Reverend Neil G. Thomas. Whilst we understand that their art form and expression may not be everybody's taste, the truth is that they have also followed in the footsteps of many orders who have been benevolent and who have continued to be the most compassionate and understanding, working especially with gay men during the AIDS pandemic. You know, okay, fine. You want to be compassionate and, and non-discriminatory and all that sort of stuff, but promoting that in a church? I don't get that. Why? What's the need for that? I mean, like making such a big deal, like having Drag Sunday in church. I'd, that one misses me. I just don't don't quite get it. I do have some good news, though, from the Pentagon. They reversed their gender-neutral pronoun policy for awards. Now, they do have a gigantic pronoun guide that all members of the military must learn and must study, uh, lest you may <laughs> refer to um, certain members of the military around you in, in your duty incorrectly. In terms of their pronoun, there's even discussion of how uh, a commanding officer addresses a subordinate. A subordinate deals with a commanding officer that has this pronoun situation. Kind of important in the military because you have to do the whole yes, sir. Right. No, not anymore. Well, so they had a, a gender-neutral pronoun rule for certain citations. And this was actually exposed back in early September. And so they decided to change. They posted, quote, change six to the manual of military decorations and awards. So they were going to use gender pronoun, neutral pronouns, pardon me, in referring to recipients of military citations. And they're honestly gr grammatically incorrect pronouns, such as themselves, instead of the standard himself or herself. That's what they were going to use in announcing and uh, providing the recognition for those receiving the awards. And this was because of Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Milley. You know that guy, he says that white rage is the number one challenge in the military. So it was back in August, the Pentagon quietly published a change to the Manual of Military Decorations and Awards for the sixth most, pardon me, the sixth most, sixth most, that would be the top, prestigious Joint Service Awards. Change five required the use of gender-neutral pronouns for the six awards. It's just unbelievable. But it's not happening, though. Pay no attention. This kind of stuff's not happening. It's hyperbole. It's outliers. We're coming right back as Fog Hat bumps us out of this segment. Mayor Robin Tannehill at 1205. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. So we were talking about um, potential shutdown. Donald Trump urging the GOP to dig in and shut it down, says Biden will be blamed. It's really hard to tell any any uh, attribution of blame at this point is totally speculative. Should, in fact, the government shut down? We're four days away from that reality if a deal isn't reached in, uh, in particular in the House of Representatives where Kevin McCarthy is facing uh, a, a bit of division in his party, in his, in his conference, and there's no surprise there on how to handle that. Bad poll numbers for the president, however, coming from the Washington Post about, um, and it really says a lot about the prospects for Biden's re-election bid, but you know, they also say, well, maybe our polls got it wrong here. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, they, they sort of discounted their own poll, which was amazing to me. <laughs> And then you had Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, yesterday that was asked about these, this poll, which is from the Washington Post, which is a little shocking, I guess, to those on the left, that, uh, that the folks they poll, most of whom are on the left, said, yeah, we're not happy with Biden. And the poll reflects that. Jean-Pierre was asked about that. And she said that the president was focused on delivering for the American people. And, you know, polls are just that. They're polls. And you look at lots of different polls, and they're all different. Well, see, that's where she's wrong. No, they're not. Across the board. Left-leaning polling organizations, right-leaning, middle, whatever. They're all showing the same thing. The folks aren't happy with this guy. And it all comes down to their pocketbook. Pocketbook and seeing those images on television seemingly 24 hours a day of the border. Saw some new ones today of jam-packed trains with migrants on top of the trains. Waving Venezuelan flags. Yes. How nutty is that? So this is bothering people. And then you've got an awakening in this country, I believe, on all this crazy gender ideology stuff. That's crossing party lines. Democrats don't like that either. Many of them don't. So, now, this is, of course, these polls are are an indicator of the popular vote. And as you guys know, we elect the president by electoral vote. So it really depends on, honestly, the state. What matters is how... The, the president's poll numbers look in terms of just satisfaction with his performance in those key swing states. I will say that recent polls 
of a head-to-head match between Donald Trump and Joe Biden show Trump leading in the key swing states. And if that's the case, it will, in fact, be a landslide. Uh, the likes of which we had not seen in a long time, since Ronald Reagan, honestly. So, sadly, some recent polls run show that the majority of Americans favor moving away from the Electoral College. They want the president to be elected based on popular vote. Now, that's nothing new, but it's gaining steam. Seems to be uh, thought thought the way to do it by more Americans than it has in the past. And I I think that's, honestly, Will, I think that's because of both sides contending election interference and election integrity issues. Hillary Clinton's still running around saying, this weekend she was still saying, no doubt that Putin interfered with the 16 election, and that's why Donald Trump got elected, which is complete horse hockey, of course. But things aren't looking good for the president uh, across the board on his handling of the economy and also on his handling of the immigration situation. All those are just negative, not in his favor. Uh, Let's see, latest NBC poll. Do you have concerns about President Biden not having the necessary mental and physical health for a second term? Major concerns, 59%. That's from NBC. Well, they can put that aside now. He got some new shoes, Air Gerard. Tell them about that real quick. Yeah, the new scoop is that Biden, they have a don't let him trip strategy. New shoes, balancing exercises, and shorter stairs. <laughs> and he celebrated this today by going down a flight of stairs and stumbling a little bit. I don't know has, if you saw the video of that. Has there ever been, I have, has <laughs> there ever been a more guarded president in the history of this country? It's only going to get worse. Because he ain't getting younger. It is time for a break. Fox News, Super Talk News is next. It's top of the hour. And when we come back, it's the mayor of Oxford, Robin Tannehill. Stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays from the Element Well Studio. Hour three, the afternoon portion of the program. We welcome Robin Tannehill, the mayor of Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning there, or afternoon now. Mayor, good to see you. Good to see you as always, Gerard. How are things going up in Oxford? I've been up there three or four times over the past 60 days. It looks like it's just rocking and rolling, as always. You got all the students back, and uh, see you know, it- lots of great things going on. Thank you. It is hopping, Gerard. Um, as a matter of fact, an article came out um, a couple of weeks back that ranked the fastest growing college towns in America. And Oxford is number two on that list behind Bozeman, Montana. 
Um, we've grown 102% since 2000, and we're projected to grow another 24% before 2030. So um, it's not slowing down. That is awesome. So what do you attribute that to, Mayor? Well, I think we have an amazing quality of life, an amazing public school system, which I think has a lot to do with folks who are relocating from other communities to ours. Um, a winning football team doesn't hurt. Um, some excitement around baseball and basketball doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know, universities, I think, as a whole, have a really unique quality of life. And um, I don't think you can find a better place to call home than Oxford. Yeah, and it, it looked to me like you've got new businesses forming up as well to, to service this uh, increase in population, for sure. We do, you know. I mean, where there's a demand, you see the supply follow. So we are excited that we've got businesses opening all across town and, you know, rooftops being put up as fast as they can. And um, the real estate market is still booming yeah. here where it's struggling in so we've got no complaints. Lots of great opportunities. The uh, the west side of Oxford, out uh, uh, just a little bit north and west on Highway 7 there, that's really been bustling and booming for a while, right? It has. It's, um, you know, we're growing in every direction. We When we annexed in 2018, you know, typically you're going out to bring in um, a large portion in one direction. But we, we annexed in every direction, and, and we're seeing development on the Highway 7 corridor and the Highway 6 corridor. So yeah. it is, um, it's all over, and it is a blessing for sure. Yeah, it's good stuff. Of course, uh, Oxford, known for its uh, unique square, uh, which is just uh, iconic, really, uh, around the nation and attracts so many, still booming as well. It is. We um, are, are very, very lucky to still have our downtown square be our thriving central business district. You know, so many small towns lost their downtowns when their Walmarts came up on the highway and everything kind of moved out of town to be in strip centers along a highway. And, and that never happened here. And, and so our square continues to be our thriving downtown business district. And um, with the addition of outdoor dining that um, we implemented a few years back and um, some public art, we just redid an area of the square to make it a pocket park. Mm -hmm. And we've been having live music there on Thursday evenings. And it's just, it's a lively square for sure. Yeah, really this cool. This weekend. Yeah, it'll be crazy, won't it? <laughs> yeah, it will. Looking forward to that. Um, I uh, was at a breakfast with the governor uh, this morning, little event, and uh, I was talking to him, and he asked me who I had on the program today, and mentioned that you were going to be on, and and uh, he shared with me that he thinks you're doing a great job. I just want to let you know that uh, he t he told me that this morning at that event. I appreciate that. You know, we, we all just have to pull the rope in the same direction. And there's so many great communities and um, hardworking mayors across the state. And, and um, you know, I appreciate that support from our governor. And he is always supportive of Oxford. And we appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about something that uh, is, is a little less fun to talk about, shall we say. But it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. And it's certainly a, a subject which I have addressed uh, considerably here on the program, and that's the Public Employees Retirement System, PERS, as it is known. As you know, the, the Board of Trustees, um, they adopted 
new policy, which will increase the employer contribution rate. It was scheduled to go into effect a full five percentage points October 1, and just in a few days, but um, that was pushed back to July 1 of next year. And now it's going to be phased in, as you're well aware, over a three-year period, 2, 2, and 1. But but this is a, this is a financial burden on uh, municipalities and school districts and counties, other political subdivisions that are not funded by the general fund in general. And, and so you guys got to come up with some money to pay for this additional expense. We do, Gerard. Um, I actually went to Jackson August the 22nd, I think it was, when the PERS board met in Jackson just to hear the discussion. And, and as you said, they, they took a vote that day to implement a three-year phase-in employer contribution that will go from 17.4 to 22.4. So that's a 5% increase, as you stated, that will um, begin in July of 2024. But a 5% increase for the city of Oxford means an additional $1.25 million wow. for our tax per year once we reach the 5%. Yeah. And, you know, that that's already in place. So we did have to budget in our budget that begins October 1st for one quarter of that 19.4%, which will be our employer contribution beginning July 1st. Yeah. Well, clearly some other uh, mayors and other um, city leaders, uh, county leaders have concerns. Mayor, because I think this is why we saw the board sort of back off on this full five percentage points in October and move it back to July and now and now decide to phase it in. So they, I think they've received some some expression of concerns. I know Mayor Toby Barker of, of Hattiesburg has been on the program. He, of course, serves as president of the Mississippi Municipal League this year. And he said he'd been getting lots of calls as well from, from mayors around the state. Absolutely. You know, the the 5% is certainly a financial burden for us immediately, but probably the more concerning vote that the PERS board took was um, lowering the annual assumed rate of return to 7%, current level of 7.55%. And um, when they did that, the PERS executive director said at that meeting that this would almost certainly mean a further increase in employer contributions probably another 5%. So that would push our rate to 27%. And that's a 10% overall increase in employer contributions. And, you know, I I would guess that that 10% would probably be phased in at 2% a year, but the board, the first board didn't discuss that. Um, So speculating there, but um, you know, in in short for the 27% employer contribution amount, Obviously different for every community, but for Oxford, that'd be $2.5 million a year, Gerard. Mm. Um, if we were to raise taxes to cover that increase, we'd have to raise taxes five mils. Oh, wow. It's just, it's wow. unthinkable, honestly. Yeah, yeah. that, and I, I, I got to believe, Mayor, that uh, numerous other uh, cities and towns across the state would uh, be facing that same sort of dilemma and, and uh, have to make some hard decisions about raising property taxes. That wouldn't be any fun. Well, it's a it's a hard pill to swallow for every community. And, you know, different cities and communities will have to take different approaches on how they deal with it. I mean, they're, they're in every community where you can raise their taxes and people be able That's to right. then afford to live there. 
Yeah. And so, you know, looking at communities that are thinking about cutting services or dedicating all the growth that they have just to PERS. And, you know, essentially the the hard part is that this is shifting the burden of providing long-term benefits to local governments. Yeah. And, you know, even more frightening is um, also counties and school districts will be dealing with this exact same employer contribution. So, you know, residents could see their city taxes, their county taxes, and their school taxes all increase at the same time. Yeah. And that is, that's frightening communities. Yeah, no doubt. I, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of buzz in the legislature once they convene in January and get under the dome there. And speaking of which, a couple of minutes left, anything else on your radar there, Mayor, that uh, you've talked to your delegation or just state leaders about that you, that you need? Yeah, you know, we, we, we do see that, you know, this is a real opportunity for our legislature to help us come up with a solution, both short term and long term for PERS. And we believe, and I'm sure Mayor Barker used this term when he was on your show. He kind of coined this term at the beginning. We started talking about PERS, but there's got to be shared sacrifice. Yeah. And um, so we will continue to talk to our legislators about that and we'll continue to seek funding for infrastructure projects. As you've heard me say, we're a town of 28,000, but this weekend when LSU rolls in, we'll be over 250,000. That's incredible. I look forward to it. Uh, Mayor, always uh, enjoy talking to you. Thanks for coming on. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Appreciate it. So have a good one. You too. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us, folks. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays from the Element Well Studios. So, what did the mayor say? Well, twenty-eight thousand live in the the Oxford 28, area. Twenty-eight thousand live there, and about she said two hundred fifty thousand people will be there this weekend. Wow, that's incredible. That is a uh, it's a lot of pressure on the uh, the infrastructure. Of, well, if you've uh, ever dealt town. with their traffic I on have. a Saturday afternoon well, after I have. a game, I have. Yeah, but the town is is growing, as she said, in both directions. Uh, the Commons area up Highway Seven there is really neat. Yeah, uh, on the west side of town, the east side of town through Highway Six is uh, expanding. I, I don't really go east. to a whole lot of games, but uh, for any anybody uh, because of my weekends with high school football. But a couple weeks ago, uh, my mm-hmm. wife and I drove past there. We were actually going to Myrtle, Mississippi, so we have to drive through Oxford to get there. And I'm going to tell you, I don't recognize the place. It's grown so much. It's, it's crazy. Incredible. Uh, Starkville as well. Starkville, It was in yeah. that list as uh, one of the fastest-growing college towns. And, uh, you know, we're blessed in that enrollment at those schools uh, is up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're doing well. Uh, from that perspective, of course, more enrollment means more money, but it also means more pressure on the infrastructure 
including the city, not just the university. I, I know that the university itself is uh, both universities had difficulty with housing. Yeah, you know, it's putting putting students in place to live while they're going to school there. Uh, it's it's overrun the capacity, which is a good problem to have. But you know you're trying to accommodate, and there are no mm-hmm. uh, simple snap of the finger answers to that. But the only uh, thing worse than that's parking. Yeah, parking parking is crazy. Well, these are good problems, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen articles in the Daily Mississippi, and I don't know if you track that about the parking situation, you know, on campus. And it's it's always been bad. It just seems like it's one of those things that just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's because of that growth. Like you said, it's a one of those good problems to have. You'd rather have that than the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what uh, the enrollment on the Oxford campus is now. Is it around twenty thousand? I believe. I would guess so. Um, it was nine thousand, I think, in all the campuses when when I was in school. So, but it was parking was a problem then. So, <laughs> uh, it you know, it's like I said, it's a good problem to have, particularly when you consider that enrollment nationwide is actually down, it's declining. Really? Yeah, in colleges, in particular, um, is is down. And when I visited with uh, Dean Wilder, does a fantastic job, School of Accountancy. About a month ago, he was telling me that uh, enrollment in the accounting major is way down. We're not producing enough accountants. And uh, this is a problem, which is one of the reasons why if you got that degree, you're just guaranteed work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got choice of jobs. And all the employers are fighting over. It's just a demand and supply thing. And um, I was a little surprised to find out that Enrollment. There's just not as many high school kids that that want to enter that uh, course of study, that major, and receive their degree in that that area. So, kind of uh, kind of something. So, Chris from Oxford says we're juggling it pretty well. I mean, we're just not set up to be a big retrop- metropolis. It's hard to have that small town square setting and be in New York City. It's a good problem to have. Says um, we should finish the school. What'd you say there, Chris? Built a big high school eight or ten years ago, the one you were at for the day of the remote. Yes, I remember that. That's all over by the Commons, right, Chris, on the east side of town? Oh, pardon me, the west side of town? It was uh, like 15, 20 million. Did I get my directions right there? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Sets the, um, yeah, it'd be the east side of town. Mm. Yeah, the Commons. Um. I had to think that with the, in terms of the airport, having dri- uh, flown into that airport many times. By the way, the runway at Oxford Airport runs cardinal direction east-west. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 0927 is the runway indicator. So you can see it when you're, when you're uh, flying and you're looking for it because it kind of sits atop a hill. Yeah. And it's, it's perpendicular. So your flight, if you're going north, as I would be from central Mississippi, and it is it is absolutely due east, due west. Hmm. But um, and you kind of make your turn a little bit over the downtown area to set up for your approach coming into the airport. It's really a cool airport. Uh, but yeah, it's it's sprawling, it's booming. Good problem to have. He said they couldn't do the baseball or football field. Something happens that the money big stink about it. I don't remember that. Uh, Chris, but I appreciate you tell us about that. My only experience with that airport was when they were hiring Houston Nut. Yeah. And we went out there and we tracked planes to try to fi- you know, <laughs> try to figure out where the planes were coming from, get the tail number, all that stuff. 
<laughs> and I don't think I don't think it worked. I I think uh, I think they snuck in, snuck him in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when they hired him, uh, it gets crazy on football weekends. Haven't flown up there a lot in my little plane um, back in the day, and they they have to try to accommodate and park you out in the grass and so forth. You hope that it's dry, because <laughs> if it's not dry, it's a problem. You know, parking your plane in the in the ground area, the the bigger ones can't. Guys that have smaller ones, folks that have smaller ones like me, they could pull you out, uh, tow you into the grass there and wait to come back. But, yeah, when you have uh, Alabama coming in, A&M, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Texas, just a yeah. stream of airplanes, it's unbelievable, just a parade of them coming in there, it, which is it, true at all university airport areas. Yeah, it is unique because the actual college – uh, football attendance, I think, has been down the past couple of years since the pandemic, at least. Yeah, because uh, people like watching it at home. Yep. But it's that experience that you can't get at home in front of your television, and I agree. seeing your friends and and you know other people. So, yeah, Oxford and Starkville both have unique situations that are good. Yeah, I agree. Dan in Hasberg says, not buying the $250,000 figure. Stadium holds 70000 That would be another 150000 in addition to the regular population. Well, you've got to add, of course, Dan, the, the population right that uh, resides. You know, how many of those go to the game, how many don't. I don't know. I hear what you're saying. Uh, but my guess is the mayor has experienced this quite a bit, dealt with this, and and has some uh, support. It feels like it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it sure does. Has support, some support yeah. for figures. I know there's usually, what, 20,000, 30,000 in the Grove that never darken the stadium during the game. There's a lot. <laughs> it's a bunch. Yeah. Um, that just decide to just take it in on the television there. <laughs> so um, a lot of folks have the satellite TV now they, they've set up. I remember when that started 20-something years ago. That's become fairly common. Almost mm-hmm. every tent set up at tailgates around college campuses these days have satellite television so you can keep track of all the other games and enjoy those. It's a lot uh, more convenient to do so, uh, given the size of televisions and receivers and dishes and all that kind of stuff you got to have. Kind of neat. Donald in Oxford says, why are they downgrading the return on investment in PERS? Could they change investment strategy? The answer, I think, to that, uh, Donald, is the actuaries who consult with public pensions are, are doing so just because of their concern of market volatility, and they're downgrading the investment target, the return target, um, so the system will invest in a more conservative fashion and not invest as much in risky assets. They are somewhat dictated on how they could deploy that their money, the portfolio, but it but they do have a fair amount of latitude as well. So that I think that's what's going on, Donald. It's just actuaries are concerned about saying, no, you ought to target a higher return and then they then they go make investments accordingly. They allocate capital accordingly and then it doesn't work out and they fall below what is really a sustainable figure. So it's all it's all about risk, honestly. And that's why they're doing that. Of course when you're downgrading the the PERS return target like that, that means more pressure uh, on other sources of income, and that's contributions. That's really their two main sources of income, or contributions from the employee and employer, of course, and then 
cash that uh, the investments uh, throw off. That's really it. So when you downgrade the investment target and they, uh, again, allocate capital to achieve that lower target, that just means more pressure on employees and employers, as the mayor was saying. And that means the possibility of having to increase taxes to cover those additional costs. Now, another option is the state, and this is, I think, what you're going to see, discuss quite a bit, Will, in the next session when they start taking up the just the subject of PERS and how to deal with it. It's probably going to be a call for increasing the sales tax diversion, which currently sits at, I think, 18% change of total sales taxes collected are returned to the cities in which the transaction occurred. That's their primary source of revenue. I bet you'll, and the state keeps the rest. It's a primary source of revenue in the state. I think you're going to see calls from, from the cities and towns to increase the diversion, the amount that gets diverted to the cities and, and uh, counties, and the state would get less, keep less of sales tax revenue. I think that's where we're headed. We're coming right back with half an hour left on middays. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. Bubba and Starville says most tailgaters use their phones instead of satellite. I got to tell you, Bubba, I walked through the Grove uh, a couple weeks ago. There were TVs everywhere. So I think I was actually the first one to ever set one up in the Grove, and that was a long time ago. That would have been in the 2000 time frame. One of those satellite TVs? Yeah. That just had the idea and would use uh, use 12 volt car battery. <laughs> had a 12 volt car battery that I would power uh, the the receiver and and brought the dish, uh, Direct TV dish at the time, and it was it was kind of difficult at that time. They weren't nearly as easy to to dial in and connect uh, to the the actual satellite itself, but that's a true story. Use a 12 volt car battery, big old car it's battery. F one fifty. No, it's going in my ten by ten tent. <laughs> Set all that up, and that's before we had. I don't think we had flat screens back then. I think the first one I brought up there, if it was a flat screen, it was a thick one. You know, compared yeah. to today, it's a long time ago, and then that just sort of took off from there. But so I, I'm sure you had to be uh, really committed if you were bringing a tube TV. Anywhere. I, I had it stored up there, and I think the first one was a – it wasn't a real deep tube, but I think the first one – it may have been in the 90s because my DirecTV subscription goes back to then. I think I may have uh, – actually, I think to the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. I got connected with Hughes Network. That's the people that built DirecTV. It's Howard Hughes, yeah, the satellite guy, and they also make – still do – network management software, and we sold their software. And I was at an event, and I won this thing. I didn't even know what it was, and they shipped it to me and had to fly somebody in to set it up. It had Hughes on it. didn't even have DirecTV on it. had Hughes Networks on it. Really? Yeah. That was before anybody even knew what it was. I didn't know what it was, honestly. And they called me up and said, you won. Won what? 
and it was a drawing at a big network expo I went to in in uh, Las Vegas. I visited their booth, and they you know they in, enter you in the drawing for coming by the booth. That's typical at trade shows. Back then, um, you know, now you just you show up and they scan your card or something like that. It's it's pretty simple to enter those. Back then, your badge, your your expo badge, actually had your ID card was formed like a credit card with the embossed numbers, and, and every exhibitor had a credit card swipe machine, a manual swipe machine. You give them your card, they swipe it, and that's they put the the carbon, essentially, hand you a copy and the carbon copy, just like the merchants used to do before you had all this online credit card stuff, real-time credit, and they put that in the bucket for the eventual drawing. Yeah. And it was just a, a, a card that had your ID on it, uh, just as an attendee at the event. We Tiny. had satellite growing up, but we had the big, yeah, you know, the big, huge dish. It's still on top of my mom's roof, in fact, still yeah. to this day. That big, huge dish, and, you know, you'd want to change... I don't know, it was channels or, or whatever it was, and that dish would have to move, and you'd just hear it, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bubba, he clarifies, says, yeah, they're using the phone to stream to their TV. Absolutely, Bubba. Yeah. I agree with that, um, which means you don't, which is why you don't see the, the uh, pardon me, the dishes. But back when it first started, you had to have a dish yeah. to dial into the satellite. It's the only way. You didn't have smartphones. They weren't invented yet. And uh, so it was kind of a convenient way to do it. I agree with that, Bubba. Totally agree. Which is why, again, you see the TVs all over the place, but no dishes. But back in the early days, you had to have the dish, had to have the um, uh, power, uh, and yeah, you had now, to have the receiver. Uh, somebody, Donald in Oxford, says now uh, you know, a Honda generator. Yeah, I see you know, those used a lot. To, they, the generator was huge. That's you know, right. They've gotten much smaller Little now, bitty but. dudes that don't make a lot of noise. Yeah. But back in my day, it was car. I'm telling you, it was a 12-volt <laughs> car battery with the, you know, with the kind of... Uh, flexible handle that yeah. you use to carry them around, and I have that. Somebody else would have the dish and the, and the TV, and then I've started paying students to keep all that stuff up there and set it up for me. But yeah, Tupelo swells daily to eighty to a hundred thousand on the ceasefire text line. Talking about the mayor um, informing us that they expect two hundred fifty thousand to be around yeah, Oxford. Tupelo really is well, kind of like Hattiesburg, uh, a hub city where a lot of people go there to work shop to eat but it, they don't live there yeah so at night it really does i mean I, i'm from that area so tupelo you need to have traffic jams yeah uh, you know but at night it's it after everybody goes home it's not that way yeah yeah um i've been to many games at lsu and that's really something getting out of that place afterwards as well depending on which direction you're leaving the stadium around that highland highland road area and so forth that's really something um, because there's so many people crammed in there, and the stadium kept getting bigger, and but the the um, the campus and the road system around it really hasn't that much to accommodate those large of crowds. Yeah, incredible. First time I went to LSU, it was on my birthday. Uh, this was probably 15, 16 years ago now, and uh, it was with some friends of mine. We got out going to see the game and. Uh, we had a, a case of beer with us, and um, I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know what the laws were about walking around with the beer. You know, because some places are very strict. You know, yeah. you can't walk around with a can of beer. You have to have it in a cup or something like that, or you can't do it, you know. Right. So I walked up to a police officer who was doing traffic, and um, he had 
got, he was drinking some water or something. So I walked up to him. I said, Officer, I said, I, I'm a rule follower. I like to follow the rules. What's the rule with beer here? Do I have to have it in a cup? You know, he's like, Son, do I look like I give a bleep? <laughs> I can believe that totally. <laughs> uh, we talked earlier about cruising the coast, which we'll be broadcasting from on the Biloxi Green. Always a good time. That's next Wednesday. Wanted to pass on that the Mississippi Lottery Corporation has the the uh, cruising the coast scratch off game introduced here to commemorate the event. Also, you've seen the is it the Powerball that's way on up there? Yes, seven hundred and fifty million. I think I saw. Or maybe it's gone up since then. That I was think yesterday. it's up eight thirty-five. Eight thirty-five. Nobody matched it last night, so tomorrow eight thirty-five cash value of three ninety. I could probably live off of that. Something else I wanted to to clarify and pass on. We we're talking about purrs and my my view right before we were going to break didn't really get to fully expand on that. I, I believe that you're going to see a call for. Uh, an increase in the diversion of sales tax. Now, one thing to keep in mind, that only goes to cities, municipalities. That's their primary source of revenue, is sales taxes. In some cities, they do get a cut of property taxes that can be close to or maybe slightly exceed. just depends on the makeup of, of the city. You know, is it mostly property? Is it got a lot of retail? So forth, so on. But bottom line is, 18% it's either 18% flat or 18% change, can't remember, is the amount of sales taxes collected from retailers in the state of Mississippi, um, 18% of the amount collected, that gets diverted back to cities and municipalities, towns, all those that are considered within that category of subdivision. Counties, however, do not participate, do not receive sales tax diversions. They rely on property taxes as their primary source. Of, of revenue, so and nor do school districts. So that comes from property taxes. Municipalities get sales taxes because the retailers are located within some political subdivision of a municipality, typically, and um, and and so that diversion goes back to them as their revenue. I'm just simply suggesting that we may see a call for an increase in the d- diversion back to cities such as Oxford to cover this additional cost of PERS. As far as the counties are concerned, I don't know, honestly, because they don't really receive um, state funding the way uh, cities do um, vis-a-vis the sales tax diversion. So that's an interesting issue. Same with the school districts, but the bottom line is when the PERS board says, hey, you guys got to pay more into the PERS fund to cover your employees, they got to come up with a way to do it. That's the bottom line. What you would hate to see is an increase in property taxes. And honestly, Will, given today's environment, don't think it'd be popular if you think about it with the people. We're going up on your property taxes. Why? To pay for the retirement of public sector employees. I don't think that'd be popular. I may be going out on a limb here, but people don't have a high tolerance for, for tax increases, period, but especially... Nope. Uh, when you say, yeah, it's because we're running short on money to fund the retirement for public sector employees, don't think that'd go over real well. So this is truly a dilemma that's going to have to be ad- addressed, uh, no doubt about that. Ben and Madison talking about the election coming up and uh, the Russia, Russia, Russia <laughs> refrain that we heard. I-, I mentioned earlier that Hillary Clinton is still maintains that Russia caused her to lose the election in 2016. Of course, Donald Trump, many on the right, believe 
that uh, voting irregularity and voter fraud caused Donald Trump to lose. Ben says, Hillary in 16, it was rigged. Trump in 20, it was rigged. Hope we can get away from that nonsense. I think you're going to see for quite some time, Ben, maybe the rest of our lives, whomever wins, the other side is going to say, oh, no, the election was rigged or it was there was cheating, fraud, irregularity going on. I just think we're kind of set into that mode on a permanent basis. And we got the GOP debate coming up tomorrow on the Fox Business Channel, hosting the second GOP debate. Seven candidates, seven candidates will be on the stage. Asa Hutchinson did not qualify. Donald Trump not coming. And uh, we're coming back with the final segment on Midday. Stay with us. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. You know, how do they come up with this stuff? Scholars want the term white paper scrapped (laughs) due to its racial and historical context. These are Canadian scholars. They argue that the term white paper should be totally alleviated, despite the fact that the paper is white, the experts Researchers, librarians, indigenous leaders, science policy experts, and advocates in the topic of racism and decolonization agreed that hierarchies inherent in the creation of white papers are seen as artifacts of colonization, that the term white paper is exclusionary to some groups, evokes racism, privilege, power, or oppression. Oh, yeah, that's what I think about, Will, every time I read a white paper. I've actually drafted a couple in my business career. That's what I think about, power and oppression. When I'm trying to dig into some super complex, brand-new novel technology, lots of white papers written in the technology industry, as you can imagine, constant. And I've consumed countless numbers of them. Never once did I ever think about that. I don't think any normal person does. They noted that Kennedy is unique in that its first use of white paper, the white paper, comma, 1969, is associated with a policy opposed by the country's Native American population. Well, of course. Oh, gosh. Now, I have seen them referred to sometimes as position papers, although usually rather than just being purely informative, Position papers truly do support a position on some matter, some issue. Could be a public policy issue. Call it a resource or a brief, but we got to get rid of that white paper. Man, we're just so tied up with the semantics of words. Just unbelievable. Following that logic, toilet paper should be brown, says Mose, but how would you know when you were done? <laughs> 
Oh, gosh. Aaron and Meridian, is it really a debate if Trump's not there? I think it is, even if Trump's not there. I think Trump's missing out on an opportunity, honestly, Aaron. I think he should be there. The real debate is going to be, the real big debate, in my opinion, is going to be on November 30th. Have you seen this? Uh-uh. Governor DeSantis. Oh, in uh, California. Newsom. We'll debate uh, Governor Cal- California's Governor Gavin Newsom. Yeah. They're going to do it in Georgia on November 30th. And Sean Hannity of Fox News will moderate the 90-minute-long debate. That will be uh, entertaining. And it will happen on his show. I'm very surprised that Newsom is agreeing to this. I am, too. With Sean Hannity. Of course, Sean Hannity's been pushing for it. But he's agreeing to do this on Hannity's show uh, in Georgia. Yeah, I am, too. I am, too. I'm a little surprised. Maybe he's trying to position himself for a run. I'm seeing lots of rumors about Michelle Obama jumping in. Ted Cruz absolutely believes that, that Michelle Obama is going to be the Democrat nominee. He said that this weekend. He believes that the stars are going to align and events are going to unfold that's going to land her as the nominee for president as a Democrat. That's what Ted Cruz said this weekend. Wow. Uh, Governor Newsom said we agreed to the debate, provided there is no cheering section, no hype videos, or any of the other crutches that DeSantis requested. We want a real debate, not a circus. Uh, a Fox News spokesperson on Monday declined to say whether Hannity agreed to Newsom's terms of a no-live audience and said that more details on the debate will be available later on. Wow. That's going to be a fun one. Man, that will be something. Because part think of the will problem, be. Gerard, with our country right now is – in the media, is that everybody, it's a, every, all these talking heads, they all agree with each other. Yeah. You remember 15 years ago, CNN, the people would just yell at each other for 10 minutes straight, and now it's everybody agreeing with each other. You're right. You could have at least a, a, a little d- informative, useful, meaningful uh, discourse, but we don't have that anymore. Just civil uh, debate uh, around various uh, positions on an issue or issues. Don't see that anymore. The mainstream press, though, man, they sure are trying to pretty up the new uh, this new ABC Washington poll, saying it's an outlier, doesn't really track with other polls. That's just not true. Every single dang one of them say that folks are unhappy. By the way, I'm watching the Dow today. It ain't pretty. Don't check your 401k plans. The Nasdaq down 180. The Dow now down over 300. I saw it hit 400 a minute ago. This is because of concerns about continued interest rate hiking by the Fed and other negative news coming in on the economy. Housing down. Uh, Folks are starting to say that this inflation thing is really starting to, to take its toll on their finances. Doesn't look good, honestly. And it's because we have a a fool in the White House that just doesn't know what to do about this and doesn't support policies that would address and correct this problem. We're out of here today. I am off tomorrow, as we told you earlier. Dave filling in back with you on Thursday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.